We work hard at being healthier. And what we really need is better quality sleep. The new Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed intelligently senses your movements and automatically adjusts your comfort and support on both sides. This is not a bed. It's proven quality sleep. It's the biggest sale of the year where all beds are on sale. Save 50% on the new Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed, plus special financing only for a limited time. To find your local Sleep Number store, go to sleepnumber.com. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details. Shoot him in the face, they basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blow this head off. And I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over and there are two small gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I saw three long bony fingers with like claws on the end reach up underneath the door curl up to grab it and then disappear it's almost like they're unzippering our reality they stick their heads through and they look around and if it looks like the coast is clear they step through the rest of the direction if you take the head you get the whole package if you don't take the head off then what happens is they disappear This was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. But then I look over to my left, on the far side of the room, and there's Jack. And he's got blood on his face. He looks at me, and he just says one word. Oops. I've been killing ETs longer than most people have careers. I reached my hand into this bush and I touched air. I couldn't breathe and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster. to the show everybody you are listening to the confessionals a proud featured show of blogtalkradio.com i am your host tony merkel thanks for being here if you've had an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me on the show go ahead and shoot me an email 
My email address is theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. That's theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com, and hit the connection section, and you can reach me that way as well. Either way works for me. Just get a hold of me. Now, moving on to our iTunes ratings and reviews shout-outs. If you don't have iTunes and you still want to help the show out, go ahead and share this show on social media. That helps a ton, and I really appreciate it. But for those of you last week that went to iTunes and left a rating and review, you are C. Spooner, Kristen Lynn D. 83, Eli 6695, Summit Evolution, and Pam Purple Rose. Thank you very much for going to iTunes and leaving that rating and review. It helps out a ton and means a lot to me personally. So moving on to the Patreon shoutouts. These are people who went to patreon.com backslash the confessionals and signed up to support the show on a monthly basis. For doing so, you get a shout-out on social media, you get a shout-out on the show, plus a lot of extra perks, a lot of extra perks. So if you're interested in becoming a patron, go to patreon.com backslash theconfessionals and check out the rewards and see if it's right for you. But this week's shout-outs is Robin S., Lori M., Dave I., Elijah L., and Joshua N. And we also have two people who signed up for an upgrade. We have Purple Rose who upgraded and so did Robert G. So thank you very much for going ahead and doing all those things on Patreon. It means a lot to me because it really does help the show keep moving forward. Uh, It takes a lot of time and effort and this is one way you can definitely support the show and help us out to a bigger and better future. And to any of my patrons who have become patrons but did not friend request me on Facebook, the only way you can have access to the secret Facebook group is if you do send me that friend request so we become friends and I can add you. If you're already a friend with me, just shoot me a message so that I know it's you and we can put you in the secret Facebook group. Now this week's show, we have two different interviews coming up. The first interview, we're going to be having a guy on named Jim Breslow, who has a podcast called Hidden Truth Las Vegas Shooter. And Jim actually has a couple of episodes out now. I think it's close to 10 now. And he actually interviewed Bruce Paddock, the brother of Stephen Paddock, the shooter in Vegas. Jim has been doing great investigative reporting on this shooting. And I brought Jim on to talk about his podcast and some of the things that he has uncovered. After that interview, we're going to bring on Sam. And Sam actually shares about her haunted house that she lived in with demonic entities. And then later on, after she's done talking about that, we go into some of her experiences in the Pine Barrens of South New Jersey. If you live in the northeast of the United States, you probably heard of the Pine Barrens in South New Jersey. It's a very well-known area for the Jersey Devil. And now she comes on to share her stories after Jim. So let's get to it right after this. All right, tonight I have a great guest coming on. I have Jim Breslow, who actually started his own podcasting company, and now he has a podcast that's investigating uh, the Vegas shootings. Jim, how are you? Hey, great. Thanks for having me on. Awesome, man. Like, So let's talk about, first of all, let's talk about the company that you started and the podcast you started. How'd you get all involved in all this stuff? I mean, where, where did this all kind of come from? Yeah, well, it came out of my love for, for journalism and broadcasting. Um, that was always my dream to be in that business. And I have done a few shows in the past, but I, um, 
my dad uh, kept telling me that you're going to law school and that ended up winning out. Uh, so I blame him for that. But I, I became a lawyer and was a civil rights lawyer for eight years. And then I left that to run a gaming company, um, a Las Vegas uh, gaming company. Uh, I also blame him for that because we were raised with slot machines in our house. He collected antique slot machines. And magically, I wind up running a slot machine company. <laughs> so he gets, credit, <laughs> he gets credit for that too. Uh, but we, uh, we sold that company about a year ago and took a year off just to kind of take an assessment of things and decide what I want to do next. And so I finally said, you know what, I'm going to return to my original passion and love, and that's broadcasting. But these days we all know that the new broadcasts are, are, are now podcasts. Everything is going on demand. Uh, TV's on demand and now radio's on demand. So the place to go is podcasting. So I really just decided to start a podcast production company because, um, you know, I wanted to get back uh, in front of a microphone and uh, try to build a business in a burgeoning uh, business. You, you, you told me that you joined it recently and you're, you're, you're doing extremely well. Congratulations uh, what you've accomplished so far. Thank you. And, you know, I think the sky's the limit uh, for this for this uh, industry. So it's a pretty exciting industry to be in. But anyway, so once we decided, uh, once I decided I wanted to start this and found a couple great partners to do it with, then the question was, okay, so what are we going to talk about on the show? <laughs> and we really hit upon this idea that, you know, you and I have talked a bit about the fact that the mainstream media has just really lost touch with the stories that people care about. They think that all people care about is Donald Trump, frankly. And, right. and you know, it's making them – it's getting, getting them good ratings, so I get it. But for instance, you know, I, my, my girlfriend is from Ukraine and uh, I'll always have either Fox or CNN on. And she'll go, Jim, you know, can we put on the news? I'd, I'd like to watch the news. I'm like, uh, <laughs> honey, uh, this this is the news. She goes, what do you mean this is the news? This is just all political stuff about about Trump. I want to hear stories about what's going on in the world. And I'm like, um, gosh, I hear you. Um, I'm not sure what channel that is. <laughs> I don't know what to turn it to for yeah. you. Uh, it, it just it's crazy. So. So many stories like the Vegas shooting have just fallen off of the radar of these um, various groups. And so that's what we decided to do is, is to do deep dives into issues that the mainstream media has just forgotten. And frankly, even when they do cover them, they only cover them in a two or three minute segment. How the heck can you really understand, for instance, the Las Vegas shooting in a two or three minute segment? So we thought the beauty of podcasting is that it can be relatively niche. Um, and we figured there'd be enough people fascinated by this Vegas shooting that if we did a deep dive into it, that we would get listeners. And so far, so good. Uh, you know, we're six or seven episodes into the thing, and we've been getting a, a lot of attention as a result. And, and I've gotten appearances on Fox and CNN uh, due to our coverage of the shooting, and in particular, this uh, interview that we landed with the brother Bruce Paddock. Yeah. So, I mean, your show is called Hidden Truth, Las Vegas Shooter. Now, the show itself is called Hid Hidden Truth, and this segment you guys are doing is called Las Vegas Shooter. Am I right in saying that? Yes. Okay, cool. And your company, I believe, is called Realcast? Correct. Awesome. So you're investigating this Las Vegas shooting, and you, you have some fantastic episodes that you put out already. And your most recent one that you put out was an interview with Bruce Paddock. And, you know, how did you come across interviewing Bruce Paddock as a new startup podcasting company that you're venturing into this deep investigation of what happened that night on October 1st. 
Yeah, well, that's why I call it poetic that we're the ones that got the interview because it fits my narrative that the mainstream media has lost track of the story because we went we, – it was known that, that this Bruce Paddock, the brother of the shooter, was going to be in court facing felony child pornography charges uh, on a particular date uh, here in Los Angeles. So I sent – our reporter out there to talk to him and see if we could score an interview with him. And she was the only reporter there. And she walked up to him while he's sitting in a wheelchair waiting for his lawyer to arrive and was very receptive to a conversation. He immediately said, absolutely no, I'm not interested in talking about my brother. But she's pretty pesky and uh, kind of kept at it and uh, waited till after the hearing. She talked to him before the hearing. The hearing took place and then he's coming out after the hearing and she talks to him again, goes down and has a cigarette with him. And ultimately he agrees to give her his phone number um, and says that give me a call tomorrow and I'll think about it. So she calls him the next day. Now he's back to no, but she kind of wiggles him back to yes. And ultimately, I talked to him and he was looking for help finding a lawyer. And because I'm a lawyer, I basically said that, hey, I think I could help you with that. And that was sort of the arrangement. I was going to help him find a lawyer in exchange for him agreeing to do the interview. Okay. And now you came out with that interview. It's actually a two-part interview that you did. And I believe you just came out with the second part on Sunday, which was the anniversary of the shooting, right? Exactly. Yep. It uh, unfortunately, the anniversary of the shooting fell on Easter Sunday, um, but we decided to release um, a podcast that day on the sixth anniversary, and we started with an interview, a very compelling interview with with a couple of victims, because we always want to keep in mind that that's really who we're doing this for is the victims. They're the ones that deserve to know what really happened. They're the ones that that need to know in order to have closure. So uh, we released. Um, um, I believe it's our seventh episode. Is that a seventh or a sixth? Just six. That, that was a sixth In, episode. Intro plus six. So intro plus six. So it's our it's our sixth episode, and we posted it on Sunday night, and it has the second half of the Bruce Paddock interview. So the total interview was about an hour. Okay. And when you're interviewing him, I mean, what kind of things do you think uh, you uncovered with that interview. I mean, obviously you go in it, into it trying to find out what kind of guy was Steven Paddock and things like that. You know, you're talking to the guy's brother. Uh, what kind of details do you think that you walked away from that, that you were educated on as far as, you know, who uh, Bruce Paddock is or even, you know, Bruce Paddock's relationship with his brother? I mean, was it, yeah. I'm assuming this was a pretty insightful interview. Yeah, it's pretty intriguing slash fascinating, um, and uh, I do encourage people to to listen to the whole thing. We also have some clips of it, so you can see the video of it on on YouTube, so you can actually see what this guy looks like. Um, but it, it, it's the the story of the family. I think was my biggest takeaway. They were raised to believe that their father was dead. Um, their father was a notorious bank robber who was on the FBI's most wanted list and was living on the lam, uh, having taken a, a new name. In fact, he took a new name. Instead of being Benjamin Paddock, he became uh, Bruce Erickson, taking the name of Bruce, who we interviewed as a first name, and taking the last name of his youngest son, Eric, Eric's son. So kind of clever. Uh, but to learn that these boys uh, were brought into a room by their mother 
at the ages of uh, between 18 and 24 and told for the first time that your father is alive, um, that had to be very uh, earth shattering for them. And Bruce even said that he didn't speak to his mother for 25 years after that. That's how upset he was about learning of that. But anyway, in the interview, you know, we go through the whole story with him. I walk him through meeting his father for the first time. Uh, but, you know, all of it really for me goes to this theme that we're seeing in these mass shootings where you're seeing mental illness combined with poor upbringing, combined with guns being what appears to me to be the recipe for disaster. And, you know, that's what we saw here in Vegas. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, these, these shootings are becoming more and more frequent and uh, it's, it's very disturbing to be honest with you. Uh, We just came out with, or I shouldn't say we, they just came out with that video of Steven Paddock and, uh, you know, showing his movements throughout the Mandalay Bay and such. And, that video comes out and there's a, there, there's a lot of, you know, people saying that, you know, they have issues with it because it was chopped up and they feel like, you know, it was edited in a way that, you know, took out anything that was key vitally for people to see as far as, you know, you know, they didn't, I don't think they showed any video footage of him being in, uh, getting the guns out of his car, did a bellboy help him carry the guns out of the car kind of thing. Little things like that I've been hearing people having problems with. Uh, do you have any opinions on that video? What did you think of it? Well, yeah, certainly it was released strategically by Mandalay Bay. Uh, They're facing a very significant potential liability here by uh, lawsuits by the victims. And I think there's serious questions about Mandalay Bay. You know, I'm a big Las Vegas fan. I'm a big fan, frankly, of the Mandalay Bay. used to be one of my favorite uh, hotels. But, you know, we're Hidden Truth Show, and we're about finding out the truth, irrespective of where it may lead us. So... My comment about Mandalay Bay is that they were MGM, the owner of Mandalay Bay, was the co-promoter of this event. There was 22,000 people at their event across the street from their hotel, and it does not appear to me that they had any additional security in place at that hotel. Maybe they did. I'm sure they're going to be facing some tough questions in this litigation about that, but I think they've got uh, some issues. Uh, the release of this video, um, I know we interviewed Catherine Lombardo, one of the attorneys for the victims. She was highly upset about it, that they would release this to the public in a very strategic way, along with a press release saying, see, look at the video. You can tell that there was nothing unusual and nothing that would have pointed us to anything. She thought it was very insensitive to the victims uh, for them to release it that way and to release it so strategically, et cetera. Um, but, you know, we, we, we take the video for what it is and, and what you can learn from it. And you do see how he got the bags up to the room. You do see him with the assistance of Bellman taking all these bags up to a room and using the service elevator. Um, you know, but a lot of people wonder how the heck Mandalay Bay could have let all those bags go up. And that, does connect with my Bruce interview because he's got some theories about that. And I'll get to that in a second. But the the other takeaway from the video is that you don't see him interacting with anyone that would appear to be suspicious. A lot of people are wondering what was going on there. Was he acting alone? Well, at least in the video that they released, you don't see any of that. The problem is there's no hallway video. And my understanding is there were no cameras in the hallways. 
and and hence the reason we can't see whether anybody went into his room uh, or exited his room at any particular time. So um, assuming that's correct, that there's no hallway cameras, we certainly don't see any hallway video of Paddock uh, in what was released. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree. There's a lot there is a lot of questions surrounding uh, the details outside of that video, you know, as far as what the movements were and stuff. And I, to be honest with you, I'm not sure if we're ever going to get all the details from what happened and how it unfolded. But uh, it takes people like you to be investigating this to, you know, have a fighting chance as to finding out what actually happened. Because like we said earlier, uh, the mainstream media is so quick to move on from things. And uh, it takes independent journalism sometimes to actually do the hard work. Uh, You mentioned just a few seconds ago about how Bruce went into some details about his own thoughts of how it all unfolded. Um, Would you care to, you know, detail any of that? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of what he had to say, he he himself would call speculation, but sometimes the details behind it were, you know, so specific that you're, you're wondering, is this really speculation or not? Uh, you, you have to listen to it yourself to draw your own conclusions. Uh, but he was very clear in his belief that this was not the first time that his brother brought guns into a room at the Mandalay Bay. And his theory uh, is basically that he was meticulous in how he kept his guns clean. It had been reported that he was a germaphobe and that it's very common for him to go to Las Vegas to shoot guns. And in fact, if you look at the police report, he went to a shooting range just two days before the shooting. So this is probably a common thing for Paddock when he visits Vegas to go to shooting ranges and to bring his guns with him. And according to his brother, it would therefore also be natural for him to bring the guns up to his room. And when you got the fact that he's a high roller and getting special treatment, it's very possible that the Mandalay Bay knew he was bringing guns up into the room. Even though their policy is not to allow guns, they may have been allowing him to bring them up. And hence explaining his casual nature that you see in the video when he's bringing them up. Furthermore, he might have felt that even if they didn't know that there were guns, if they did discover the guns, he would simply innocently explain, oh, well, sorry, yeah, I was at the range and, you know, I wanted to clean my guns and I was bringing it up to the room. Oh, you know, my bad. Who knows? Again, because he's a high roller, they may have said, oh, no problem, Mr. Paddock, you know, go right on up. So that was a really interesting takeaway um, from from the interview and, and, and kind of connects to that to the video and, and helps you kind of explain why he's cool as a cucumber as they're bringing these big, heavy duffel bags of guns up to his room. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, uh, Mandalay Bay, it sounds like Mandalay Bay has a lot of responsibility in this situation, or at least possibly responsible for a lot of things that went on. And, uh, you know, that's something that I don't think have, I've been hearing covered a whole lot. And certainly even with my show, I haven't talked about it a whole lot because obviously my show is about the victims and they haven't talked about it a whole lot. Uh, but you bring up a great point because uh, the Mandalay Bay, if he was a high roller and stuff, we know that they had the given special treatment to these guys. I mean, these guys pretty much had their own set of rules that they, they walked with. And, uh, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it very well could be a situation in that, cause I know if it was me, I'd be sweating bullets. Like I'd be scared to death and I'd be shaking. I'd be nervous. I'd be visibly, you would be able to see it. And he was cool as a cucumber. Well, and the other thing that ties into that is the fact that he brought 18, at least 18 weapons into the room, but he only used two. 
people question, why did he take the risk of bringing so many guns into the room when all he needed was the original two? And my answer to that would be that, well, you know what? That shows you that he didn't feel like he was taking that much of a risk in bringing all those guns in. Now, it still begs the question, okay, maybe that's a good explanation, but still, why so many guns? Why did he want to why did he want so many guns up in his room? And many people would take that in a conspiracy direction and say that clearly there was more than one shooter, or at least it was planned that there was going to be more than one shooter. I think you can also go with innocent explanation. Innocent explanation being that, you know, he had this love of guns, didn't know which one he wanted to use, didn't know how the evening was going to end up playing out. Maybe he was shooting multiple ones at multiple times. And, you know, I just playing pop psychologist a bit. Child pornography was found in his computer. This guy, you know, obviously to do what he did, he's clearly warped, but he's clearly warped in in multiple ways. And, you know, they talk about pornographic violence. This may have been pornographic violence, you know, or it was pornographic violence. But perhaps he wanted to be surrounded by all of his favorite toys, these guns, while he committed this pornographic violence. um, uh, event. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a great thought. And, you know, when you're talking about this, you know, one of the things I just kind of thought of just now is, so if he was in the habit of taking up guns into his room and it was just a common thing, you know, who's to say that he was just doing a routine thing that he normally does and something happened where he got really pissed off, a life changing event happened. He said, I don't want to live no more. I'm going to take people out with me, you know? Yes. Well, that's sort of Bruce's theory. Uh, And I've had multiple conversations with Bruce now, both on and off uh, the mic. So some of this was was, some of this is in the interview and some of it uh, is kind of uh, extra. But he if you were to ask him to, to pinpoint a theory, he would say this was revenge and it was primarily revenge against the casino and against Las Vegas generally. And, you know, he could no longer beat the house. He was trying to beat the house. Maybe he had some some short term success winning and gambling. But Spruce's belief that he started losing and losing big and his way of getting revenge was to take it out against the casino and take it out against Las Vegas generally by by hurting them. And he has hurt Mandalay Bay and he did hurt Vegas through this. Um, So that 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 theory is, does seem to hold some water as far as whether or not he planned it or not. Bruce also doesn't seem to think that, that it was planned far in advance, but arguing against that is supposedly he had rented a room uh, outside of the Lollapalooza event in Chicago a couple months earlier. And he also had a room by the Life is Beautiful event in Vegas the week earlier so that he had been scouting locations. So that would tend to tell you that maybe it was pre-planned, but who knows? Yeah, well, Jim, I really appreciate you coming on here and talking about the show a little bit. Uh, Again, the show is called Hidden Truth, Las Vegas Shooter, and I highly encourage people to go check this out on iTunes. Uh, Jim does a great job, very professional journalism uh, with this whole thing and investigating. Uh, and you, and Jim, you actually approach it. You don't approach it with an agenda. Uh, you're, you're looking for the truth and that's the way it needs to be done. And so 
highly encourage people to go check it out. Check out the most recent two episodes, the two-part series with Bruce, and then go back to episode one and work your way through the whole thing because it's a fantastic show. Uh, before we get out of here, Jim, where else can people find your show outside of iTunes? Uh, yeah, you can go to all of your um, your players, uh, including Stitcher and iHeart, uh, et cetera. And then if you have any issues, go to our website, hidden the Hidden Truth Show. Sorry, just HiddenTruthShow.com, HiddenTruthShow.com, Hidden Truth Show on Facebook. And we also did just open up a Patreon account uh, to support us on Patreon. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on for a few minutes. Thank you for having me, Tony. It's been great. All right. Take care. Okay, that was Jim Breslow, and I hope you guys go ahead and check out his show. Again, his show is called Hidden Truth, Las Vegas Shooter. It's on iTunes. Go ahead and subscribe today. Look it up on their website as well. It's a great podcast to stay informed about the Las Vegas shooting. So next up, we have Sam coming, and she has some stories that you're going to really enjoy. So sit back and relax, because you're in for a treat. Coming up next. Okay, tonight I have a good guest coming on. I have Sam. And Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. And I wanted to just in front of everybody apologize because, you know, we did have to reschedule this interview uh, a while back. But uh, it was the week that I had my son and you were completely understanding. And I really appreciate that. Uh, But, you know, sometimes people might think that, you know, I'm pushing them aside. That wasn't the case with you. (laughs) Not at all. Absolutely not. Your your wife was bringing a new life into the world. And I completely and totally understand that because my um, my family's pretty big. So I'm pretty experienced with how the uh, whole uh, baby process goes. And it's uh, it takes up a lot of time. (laughs) Yes, it does. (laughs) I'm learning that for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. So you contacted me back in November. Uh, mm-hmm. and you told me that you had some paranormal experiences within a family home and that you also had some experiences with the Pine Barrens in New Jersey. Uh, that's South Jersey, which means you're not too far from me. Uh, how far away from Philadelphia are you? Um, well, we have a saying here in South Jersey, everything's about a half hour. <laughs> gotcha. So about a half hour. I always say I'm about 45 minutes, uh, West of Philadelphia. So we're not too far from each other. That's pretty cool. Uh, so why don't you just walk us into tonight, uh, your family's home, how that whole thing developed. What was your first experience there? Okay. Well, the first experience I can remember is about more than 10, 11 years ago at this point, I was 13. So about 12 years ago, my brother was about five. So just to kind of paint the picture our house is a ranch style house. So if anyone doesn't know what a house, ranch style house is, it's most of the living quarters are on top on the first floor. And then they may or may not have a finished basement. Well, we have a finished basement and we set up a little TV area um, right underneath where my parents' room is. So I don't recall. I think my our parents were out with our sister because I don't recall her being there. And... Um, we suddenly heard walking in my parents' room and I thought I was hearing things. So I was kind of ignoring it, but then my brother stopped playing with his toys. I remember he had, he was obsessed with, uh, Thomas the train at that age. And so we stopped playing with his trains and he just looked up, just like asking if our parents were home. And I'm like, 
No, it couldn't, they couldn't be home because we have a home alarm system that beeps if a window or a door was open. So I, I know I haven't heard the beep. So obviously they weren't home. But we kept hearing these footsteps and I started panicking, thinking, oh, God, did someone break in? And but I'm, I want to be sure before I raised an alarm. So it, again, um, like I said, if someone opened the window, we would have heard the alarm. So we had no idea what to think. I told my, I told my brother to hide if I yelled and I grabbed a plastic bat from the storage room. And it's like one of those dainty little wiffle ball bats that would dent <laughs> if you hit anyone with it. But yeah. I was, I was a big sister protecting our little brother. I didn't really, I wasn't really thinking my, my uh, thoughts through. So I grabbed this bat. I went to investigate and I was still hearing the footsteps as I was climbing up the stairs, walking down the hallway. And I was trembling as I was holding this bat that would not protect me in the slightest. And the one thing I noticed was the light was on under the doorway. But my parents were, are very, um, trying to find the right word, particular about turning the lights off because, you know, electricity bills. So I knew something was up, but I didn't see any shadows underneath. So um, I opened the door and the footsteps completely stopped. And I checked the closet. I checked the bathroom to see if anyone was hiding. I found no one. Windows were still locked. I was completely and utterly freaked out. Told my parents when they got home, but they told me and my brother it was the house settling. And it's just like, that's pretty, like, I didn't really believe them, but I wanted to because I didn't want to think there was a ghost in the house. Right. But um, it continued. I was feeling watched at night and I was too scared to leave my bed and the footsteps had started in my, up in my room. After the um, inciting incident. And there was a never a set pattern. It was not every night. The time could be anywhere from 10 to 3 in the morning. And they would start in the, do the door. They would start at the door. And just slowly start making their way in. And I would actually hear the weight just shift from one step to another. And so it's just like, this is, this is not the house settling. Like it was very constant, just boom, boom. It's like someone's creeping in and I was, but my parents would keep telling me it was the house settling. They didn't really believe me. And it got better because even though I was too scared to leave my bedroom at night, my parents would blame me for turning a TV on in the living room in the middle of the night. As my siblings weren't able to turn on the TV themselves because it was childproofed, they told me they hear the TV turn on and then later the room would go quiet. So this would be the TV in the living room. So it would be like down the hallway. And I just, I had to learn to live with it because I didn't know what to do. Uh, so I ignored the footsteps, just telling myself the house was settling. And my dog Q, um, he was a pity mix. He was black and white. I love that dog. He was a good dog. And he um, eventually started sleeping in my room with me. And when he started sleeping in my room with me, that's when the footsteps seemed to stop. 
which is, again, a little weird. Yeah. Um, In high school, it began to advance. I was becoming scared of the basement. The hallway to the laundry room, which was in the basement, made the hair on my neck stand on end. And the laundry room itself always had me looking over my shoulder, expecting to see someone. Like, you know, like you keep expecting to just see someone over your shoulder, but no one's there. Um, one night I told myself it was all in my head and I tried to watch TV in the basement, but around 10 at night, I became completely and utterly paralyzed with fear at some unseen force. I didn't see anything, but I felt it just swirling around me like a darkness. And I was like hyperventilating. I was shaking. I was terrified. And all I wanted to do was escape and run up the stairs, but I couldn't get myself to move. I don't remember how long it kept me there, but eventually the feeling just went away and I just darted upstairs and ran into my bed because, you know, it's the safest place you can be. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, but um, I noticed when my dog Q was, in around, was around, it didn't seem to come around very much. So I was under the impression it didn't like dogs. So when Q passed away, I was very vulnerable I felt like I lost my best friend and my protector. Like I was bullied pretty viciously throughout my schooling career. And that dog was basically what kept me sane. So he, I was very, very attached to him. Um, he, he was 17. He was, he was an old man. So for the first few nights after he passed, I'd still hear his dog tanks walk the hallway. Like he was going to the, kitchen for a drink of water like he would every night so the two months between Q passing and my mother gang and their dog were completely unbearable I I felt like I was being played with I felt like there was always like a shadow behind me as if I turned around fast enough I could see it and it, it was just taunting me just like hey hey where's your protector where's your friend where is he and like I, I've had that dog since I was five, so I was just <laughs> I, I was not in a good place. So um between Q passing and the other dog getting the other dog, um I was I was attacked. Um this was my first experience with sleep paralysis. Over the years I thought it was the entity or whatever it was, I'd never named it. I never mentioned it inside the house. I thought if I'd starved it of attention, it would go away. It was later suggested to me that it was possibly a night hag, old hag spirit, which was an entity that could come to your house and would cause sleep paralysis. I don't know what it was. This was, um, I was around 18. I don't really remember what it could have been. I just know I was completely terrified when it happened. I woke up with my face in my pillow and something was already wrong because I always slept on my side facing away from the door because that's where the footsteps would start. When I tried to move, I couldn't. And it felt like someone was gripping the back of my head. Like, like when someone is like gripping the back of your head and just pulling your hair as it's tightening the grip on the back of your skull. And I tried to scream, but it just, it came out like a, just, I couldn't, I couldn't force anything out. 
I heard breathing in my ear as more pressure was applied to the back of my head, forcing my face further into the pillow. And I couldn't move. But um, it, eventually I was, my hands managed to move so I could attempt to push myself up. But when I tried to push up, there was no strength in my arms. They were just noodles. And I was, pa- I was panicking as I was practically being smothered. I mean, I, I probably could have breathed, but you don't think about that. You just think there's something being pressed against my face. I'm not going to be able to breathe. Wow. And I wanted to move my head, but I was, I was terrified of what I was going to see. But I knew I had to, so I for- slowly forced my head to the side as much as I could so my nose and mouth could take in air. And I tried to force out words, but I was only hurting my throat. So I managed to stammer out a stop. And the force kind of lessened for a minute, but then it just doubled in pressure and my head started hurting. And I forced out another more firm stop. Suddenly it was gone and my head was let go. I shot up, opened my eyes. I opened my eyes to look around, but I saw nothing. Um, I tried to dismiss it as a dream, and when I stopped shaking, I tried to soothe myself back to sleep. But later in the night, the same thing happened again. It was a lot harder this time, as if it was pissed off. I was trying to stand up to it. And I kept my eyes closed throughout the whole thing because I couldn't muster enough courage to look at it and just force down or stop. That's all I could think of doing. And... When I managed to be able to sit up against all nothing, I didn't. I didn't sleep for the rest of the night. Um, That's terrifying. <laughs> That's absolutely terrifying. Yeah, it was. It was not fun. Um, I, I was really exhausted, and I was in so much pain. I just wanted to cry the next day. I was. I was too scared to take a sick day from work. I didn't want to be alone in the house in case it attacked again. And my my head felt like someone had repeatedly just bashed it against the brick wall. And I kept touching my throbbing head and just pulling back my fingers, expecting to fully see blood. Like, that's how much pain I was in. And I worked in a deli. Uh, We work with those really sharp slicers. So that being in that much pain, being around those machines was not a good idea. But I was too scared to be home. Um, My friend and my boyfriend worked with me, and they were worried. But there was the only thing they can do is keep me away from the deli slicers because we're all sensitives. And they felt the thing inside my house, but we didn't know what to do about it. So, um, I can't remember it attacking again. We adopted an air puppy and the entity seemed to calm down. I don't know if it spent all its energy that night or if it just did not like dogs, but nothing happened for a little while. Um, we did notice a strange thing with all our animals. We had throughout that having the house, we've had three dogs and two cats that whenever they were down in the basement, even if no one else was home, they would just watch the landing um, of the stairs to the main living area as if they were expecting someone to come downstairs. And it was always most active after I had an argument with my parents as, or if there was any negativity in the house. I just, I, I, I started assuming it fed off that. So I'd try to argue with my parents left, but you know, you're a teenager, you're a hothead, you're stubborn, your parents are stubborn. It, it happens. You can't really prevent it. But um, 
I had uh, once gotten one of those ghost emulator apps and the ones that supposedly, you know, you'll track the ghost or allow the ghost access to your phone so it can use the app to make words. And nothing had happened in a while, so I was feeling a little brave. Um, I was in the living room with my mother, my sister, uh, the two small dogs, Tipsy, who is a Bichon Shizu mix, and Bailey's a Jack Russell West Highland Terrier mix. And I started the app up. It started with girl, and I shrugged. Yes, there were all girls here, but that was such a generic word. And that said door. Well, yes, again, we're right next to the patio doors that lead outside. I start tilting my head. I mean, every room has doors. So, again, it was generic, but I had a bad feeling. And so I looked at the dogs to see if they were reacting, but they were playing business as usual. The emulator said dog. I'm getting really creeped out now. And we were only on the third word. As Billy ran around tipsy, it gave me a fourth word. Run. So the blood just completely drained from my face. I complete, I closed the app. I deleted it from my phone. I haven't played with any of those apps since. Just like I expected a few random words for entertainment value. Those are entertainment apps. But there's just like other than pure random chance, I can't find our explanation for those words. Because they were all completely on point. Yeah. I mean, yeah. at some point, it's like... Is it coincidence? At some point, it's just, it's not coincidence. You know what I mean? No. Um, uh, there was another incident where I had gotten up to get a glass of water. And my room is right down the hall from the kitchen. And next to the kitchen was the dining room, which then proceeded to leave out into the living room. So I got my glass of water. I was returning from the kitchen when I passed a large dark figure on my way back to my room. I was half asleep and thought it was my father and muttered an apology for being up and told him I was going to bed. As soon as I snuggled back into my bed, my, my eyes just shot open. My father was not home. And no one else in the house matched his height or shape. And I knew he was not home because it was snowing that night and he was called in for plow duty. So instead of a uh, wimpy little wiffle ball bat, I now had a training sword made of solid oak. I grabbed that from my closet, and I I was listening. And I knew it had it followed followed me because I would have I would have heard it. So it had to still be in the living area. Um, I had again follows intruder. I was turning on lights, running down to the basement, checking every nook and cranny of the house, making sure they had not run off to hide, but no footsteps or anything that would suggest they were moved. The stairs down to the basement squeaked, and I knew I hadn't heard them squeak. Well, they, they squeak when you, you put weight on them, and they hadn't squeaked at all. So I didn't want to scare my mom or my siblings. My dad wasn't home, so I decided to take a flashlight, kind of slip into their rooms, check their closets, found nothing. All the locks were still in place. Nothing was open because we were running the heat. I was grateful I had the next day off because I didn't sleep for the rest of the night again, thinking I had missed something and I was listening for any sign someone was moving. Uh, over the years, things would just go missing and either never turn up or turn up where they had no business being. One day I was alone and threw my cell phone on my bed. 
I went to the bathroom and returned and my phone wasn't there anymore. When my dad got home, I asked him to run the phone's locator thinking I was mistaken. Maybe I forgot my boyfriend's. It was inside the house and I was pretty confused as I know I put it on my bed. We were at the bar area in the basement. So I turned the corner, go upstairs and I saw something in the exact middle of the toy room, the exact middle. I went to look inside and found my phone right that the thing in the exact middle of the room was my phone. I had not been in the basement all day. So it was, it was, <laughs> yeah. it's unnerving. <laughs> I was just going to say that it's, it's unnerving for sure. Uh, I mean, cause you, you seem like the kind of person that when you, uh, when you experience something, you're looking for the logical explanation. Like several times throughout this interview, you've you know referenced something that sort. Like you're looking, like okay, that was just my dad, and then you realize, wait a second, dad's at work. Uh, and so, I, I imagine you probably ran through your head and it's like, okay, I know I wasn't in the basement. <laughs> How did it get down there? And you start running through all these different options in your head. Um, man, that that had yeah, because. This happened at the point I was avoiding the basement. So why would my phone be in the basement if I hadn't been there? (laughs) Wow. It it seems to me like this, I don't mean to cut you off. I just have to, you know, express this before I forget. It seems like this thing was some kind of intelligent entity where it understood you and recognized at least patterns that you had. I mean, like you just said, uh, you were avoiding the basement, so it puts the phone in the basement to make you come to the basement. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it, it seems to understand that you found comfort in the dog, and so when the dog's not there, it mocks it by the, I think you said it, it sounded like you, the dog tags coming down the hallway. Um, so, no, I'm pretty sure the dog tags were Q, because okay. I only heard the first few names after he passed away. I'm pretty sure that was his spirit gotcha. I was trying to figure out that he passed away because it was um he, he was an old man and his body just couldn't keep up anymore so he had to just be put to sleep it wasn't horrific or anything it was just old age so I'm pretty sure he didn't really understand until a few days after like oh wait oh I'm not here anymore okay that happened like he was yeah he was a sweetheart I loved him so much but it's it's, it's just interesting how like I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you probably figure your the dogs were able to see this or at least sense whatever was going on, uh, mm-hmm. and the kind of I, I feel I feel like whatever this was uh, knew that the dogs could sense it, and so when the dogs were around, it kind of kept things at bay. Is that how you feel? Yeah, it's just it didn't like dogs. I just always had that feeling that it didn't like dogs because. Like you point, like you said, it's just when the dogs were around, nothing really seemed to happen, and the whole escalating when the only dog in the house passed away. I mean, we had the cats, but I wasn't really bonded with the cats. I mean, I, did, I wasn't really a cat person until I moved out. So, yeah, <laughs> you're you're pretty on point as far as I'm concerned. Okay, yeah, it, it's fascinating because you hear different stories of people's experiences in their homes or whatever growing up. And uh, you you hear different similarities and things like that. Uh, And one of the things I wanted to ask you is in the beginning, when you first heard the footsteps, how long were you living in that house before you heard that? 
We moved in when I was in fifth grade. I was currently being homeschooled because uh, things had gotten pretty out of hand at my old elementary school. So my mom had homeschooled me and we moved to a better neighborhood. So I moved in the middle of me being in fifth grade. That puts me at what? Twelve. Well, no, no, no. That puts you at what? Nine, ten. No. I was eight when Joe was born. No, nine, ten. That put me around that age. Okay. Yeah, so you weren't there that long, right? Mm-mm. No, and I, I don't really have any, any memories before. Um, I don't have any memories of it, ha- it could have happened and I just didn't remember. It's just out uh, when I was 12 and the whole walking around upstairs thing was happening. That's the first, that's the first I remember of it. Yeah. Cause I was trying to deny this whole thing was happening. So there could be memories that I don't, that I still have shoved away. Cause I didn't really remember this first memory until like, I want to say about six months ago. Um, and I didn't really, believe that first I went to my brother and said hey Joe do you remember a weird incident with footsteps when mom and dad were out with Jenna and he's just like yeah it was pretty terrifying and you were pretty terrified so I was terrified I'm like well there goes that idea (laughs) (laughs) it's like great someone confirmed it I'm not crazy (laughs) now were you kind of secretly hoping he wouldn't confirm it or did you you know want confirmation to your memory well, I'm 25 now. I kind of accepted that, yeah, it happened. So I was kind of like, I wanted to make sure my memory was accurate. Because I kind of stopped denying it was happening around the time after uh, Q passed away. It was when I was denying it happening. When I stopped denying happening it happening. English, yes, thank you. I stopped <laughs> denying it was happening. Oh. So things really kind of seem to vamp up with the whole basement. Am I, am I correct in saying that? I mean, it seems like things really uh, were at a different level when it came to creep factor when you were in the basement. Yeah, it was a finished basement. I mean, we had a toy room. We had a sewing room. Yeah, it was a toy room. There was a sewing room, which is now the sewing room and the exercise room. Because everyone, no one needs toys anymore. But then there's the TV room. There's the storage area. Then there's the laundry room. So it's completely finished and carpeted and everything. But just the energy in there, it was just very foreboding. Gotcha. Uh, and your parents to this day have never said they've experienced anything? Actually, I was just about to go into that. So thank you for that lead in. Um, I was actually talking to my dad and he's... As the more I talked to him, the more he was slowly becoming more open with talking about the paranormal with me. And he finally told me about what my little sister experienced when she was two. He, she and my little brother were playing in the basement and he, being a young boy, thought it would be funny to lock her in the, t- the dark toy room. She yelled and she's like, let me out, let me out. But then, of course, she went quiet. After my brother let her out of the room, she just went Upstairs to my dad and said, plainly as possible, there was a red-eyed man in the toy room. Oh, my gosh. Just, yeah, just 
as plainly as possible. Like, you know, when they're making things up, they giggle like it's a game. And she's just like, oh, yeah, this happened. Like that, that you don't do that when you're two. And where that red eye man, she says, appeared was the exact center of the toy room, right where my missing phone appeared. Wow. So he finally told me this when she was nine. And when I was finally told that, and I remember if my family had experienced something, I didn't know if I wanted to hug him or hit him. Because just like when I tried telling him all this initially, he was like, oh, it's the house settling. Oh, it's your imagination, honey. You know, you have no reactive imagination. He was like denying it, denying it, denying. It. He's like, now all of a sudden years later. Oh, yeah. By the way, your sister did experience something. So, yeah, that happened. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's like, kind of crazy. I, un- I understand it from a parent's perspective that he didn't want to feed into my fears and make me scare of the house. So I understand it from a parenting perspective. But at the same time, it's like, really? You couldn't have just... Uh, Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, do you... I mean, I understand what he was trying to do, so I'm not upset. Sure. And do you uh, draw the conclusion... I don't want to put words in your mouth, so you tell me, you know, just like the dog, if if you don't think something. uh, But do you get the feeling that this red-eyed man is the same entity that attacked you with your hair and everything? I'm pretty sure it is. Like, if it wasn't the red-eyed man, it was a night hag, but I've never never really had an experience with one of those, and the house was already haunted. So, I mean, according to my teacher, the guy who's um, my friend who's been kind of showing me how to detect energy and everything and how to use my energy. He's been, he says they exist and he's dealt with one personally when it attacked one, when it attacked one of his roommates. So I believe they exist, but I'm pretty sure it was the red eyed man. Okay. That was what attacked me because it only happened. It only happened between losing one dog and getting another dog which was a huge coincidence for me, and I don't really believe in coincidences. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. <laughs> but he did go on to tell me he hadn't personally seen anything, just heard some weird noises, had some weird sensations he can't explain, but gave them no further thought as the super- supernatural freaks my mom the hell out. Her story is she saw the, pet, she saw the original pet cemetery and refuses to have anything at all to do with anything that she considers horror-related. Like we can't watch horror movies in her presence. No horror movies when she's home. She will not. Ha- she will not have any of it. It completely freaks her out, and he didn't want to scare the rest of us, so he just kind of kept it to himself. Like, oh, hey, that happened. Okay. I mean, he was he was being the family protector. Again, I don't really blame him. It, it's a little frustrating, but I don't really blame him. Sure. So let's just take a break right now. When we come back, we'll jump right back into it and talk about these red eyes a little bit. Oh, 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 
whenever you hear somebody describe something that had red eyes, it, it just sounds evil, doesn't it? Uh, well, we've done some research into it uh, since I've spoke last spoken about it, and red-eyed de- red-eyed shadow men are common sightings among children because it manifests their fears. And uh, my boyfriend theorized that the red eyes means chaos. And yes, that it was feeding off any negativity in the house. That's what gave it strength. That's what gave it the energy to go, you know, bump in the night. I mean, they're not very common sightings because it's sighted by children. And whenever children see them, the parents usually dismiss it. So it's not really reported, you know. But the few, the little information I could find on it suggests that it's mainly only seen by children. That's always, I always find that interesting because I I honestly feel like if my son one day comes to me and says he saw a red-eyed man in our basement, uh, I I would take it serious, you know? And I I don't know if it's because of the things that I deal with on a regular basis that I'm just more mentally aware that this kind of stuff is real and it actually happens to people. Uh, but I always find it funny when pe- when people tell me that their parents just kind of brush it off, like, oh, you're just seeing things. It's like, uh, really? You know, <laughs> like, I'm not sure about that. Well, they want to deny these things happen. As you said in an episode a little while ago, that you had an issue when Christians thought just because they're Christians, they're protected. They don't need to do anything about it. They're just protected because they believe in God. When it's like, no, you got to do a little more than that. You got to really believe in them. You can't just say, oh, well, I'm protected. It's fine. It's like, no, you got to really, you got to really believe them. You got to call on them, you know? Yeah, no, (laughs) absolutely. I mean, uh, it's like, well, it's just like people, especially in America, you get this a lot where you know, if people don't really identify with any particular uh, philosophy or theology, uh, uh, typically the default is, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, you can't just say that. Like, you have to understand what it means to be a Christian. You actually have to, uh, there's a set of beliefs that you actually have to believe in order to claim that you're a Christian. And just because you say you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're covered underneath the Christian uh, covenant or whatever you would call it. So, mm-hmm. like, it's just, uh, I always find that funny because people just go by default. Oh yeah, I'm good. Oh yeah, this that. And it's like no, listen, we we got we have to stop living our lives on default and actually give some intent behind what we do. Well, yeah, well, it's like I told you earlier. I was raised Roman Catholic, but the a lot of the rules I just didn't, I couldn't connect with the energy of it. I just I didn't feel like it was for me. So that's when I found Wicca, which I have been completely happy with. It's and people were like, oh, you're a witch. You're going to curse me. It's just like, it's the amazing thing. People don't believe in magic. And then when they hear you're a witch or a Wiccan, they're going, oh, you're going to curse me. It's like, no, it doesn't work like that. Harm, harm none and do as you will. So if you're not harming anyone, it's none of my business. It, that's basically my philosophy. Are you harming someone? No, then it's not my business. Go about your day. You asked me earlier if I've ever talked to a Wicca, Wiccan on the show, and I'm not sure if I have, but... I know I have in real life and my experience is quite the opposite that as to what I've heard on some YouTube videos being claimed, uh, you know, and you know, you're just another person I'm talking to now. 
Yeah, well, it's like when the office found out because um, the one coworker who has since quit because of the drama, but um, she was she was talking to me how she didn't like how um, the uh, her family was condemning her relationship with another woman because of their beliefs, and I'm just like, look, I'm Wiccan, I don't really care. I don't care. You you want to you want to go hug that tree? You want to go love a woman? I I really I really don't care. Are you hurting anyone? So that's how it first got brought up, and then the rest of the office found out I was being accused of sleeping with the devil and raising the dead. And I'm just like, first off, Satan is exclusive to Christian theology, so I can't worship something I don't believe exists. Is there bad stuff in the world? Is there bad spirits? Is there negativity? Do we have to do our part to make sure that there's more good in the world? Absolutely. But no, I'm not. It, it's just, it's frustrating. And of course, these women, they all go around, say whatever they want, insult whoever they want. And they think they're good people because they go to church every Sunday when it's just like, that's not how that works. You you can't go to Jesus and say, oh, hey, I... I, um, you know, I insulted someone today because they were different than me. We're good. And then go do it again. That's not how that works. Yeah. Uh, it, it drove me crazy. No, and I, I know we're kind of getting off course here a little bit, but I will oh, absolutely. say. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. It's fine. Hey, listen, it's my show. I'll say whatever I want. Right. So, but I, I, I will say that, uh, you know, Christianity, Christians, they in America, I can't speak on a global scale, but mm-hmm. in America, um, they've gotten soft on their own convictions and uh, what they be- or I should say like this, what they know they believe. Uh, so like we mentioned earlier, kind of we hinted at that a little bit earlier. Uh, but when it comes to the whole, um, you know, they think that they can just do whatever they want or whatever, like they're not totally understanding the whole concept of this grace that is being offered uh, through Jesus. They, they feel like, you know, they can just, Hey, sorry, I shouldn't have done that. And then kind of, like you said, turn around, do it again and stuff. And though his grace covers all sins, the, the, the concept is if you truly have experienced his love and mercy and grace, You'll strive to not do these things. Not saying you won't do it, but you'll strive not to. And so, especially for somebody who isn't a Christian, when you see other Christians really not seeming like they're striving to not do these things, whatever it is, it can be off-putting. It can be like, well, what's, what, what is this? You know, like, w- which way does it go? You know what I mean? Uh, I could totally mm-hmm. see what you're talking about. No, it's just frustrating to to witness, but it's just like, you know what, to each their own. If that's how they want to live their life, as long as you don't live it near me. <laughs> yeah. Do not involve me in this, please. I understand. Uh so so has was there anything else that happened in that, that house or was that it? Um, no. No, um a few other things happened, which is why I said I hope you don't mind if this is long. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, so in, this was in front of the house. So I don't think it has anything to do with what happened inside the house. But um, ever since me and my dad have been more open with each other about the supernatural, he um, told me there was a time that he was 
unpacking his SUV in front of the house. And out of the corner of his eye, he saw this young blonde girl in colonial dress. Well, there's a lot of kids in the neighborhood. We have the bus stop right down the corner. So he didn't really bat an eye until he realized the girl's clothes. And he turned around to look at her again, and she was just gone. He told me he didn't know if it was an angel, a ghost, or possibly a demon disguised as a young girl, because he understands demons do do that. They take on the virtue of innocence to draw us in. And so he hasn't seen her again, but he's just like, that's that was a really weird thing that just happened, <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. Hmm. So going back to the house, uh, around the time I was 21... I was again venturing into the kitchen to have a drink. And as I filled the, filled the cup, I just felt the entity just standing behind me, breathing down my neck. Like you, I could actually like feel like the breath and something in me just snapped. Just like, that's it. I'm done. I'm not scared of you anymore. I found myself saying, I'm not scared of you anymore. And just with force, I said, do not come near me or my family again. Like, I don't know what snapped. It's just like I was so done of being scared of my own house. Just like, I'm done. I'm done. Just just go. Just leave. I'm done. So I turned. I was ready to face him. I was ready to see him. I see what he's going to look like. And he's gone. I have not had any more personal experiences in my parents' house. My family experienced no t- activity until I moved out a couple of years later. And it seemed to think it could start up again. So the rest of the experiences I have are recounted through either my father or my sister. Um, My father and sister would see shadow figures in the bathroom when they're the only people home. The footsteps started up again in my sister's room. She would hear the creaking on the stairs as if someone was walking on them. My my brother didn't contribute this to the uh, entity, but he woke up with terrible, terrible thoughts, and he was... Um, like he, he has everything going from him for him. Like he's in the ROTC. He has a bright future ahead of him and he just wanted to end it all out of nowhere. And his terrified girlfriend of the time just called me up in my house and repeated to me what he was saying to her. And when I later questioned him, he said he had no idea where they came from because he knew he had a very bright future ahead of him. And um, I think it was Mysterious Radio or maybe one of my pagan podcasts where there are there are a couple demons that will visit young men and like tear down their self-esteem and try to get them to commit the ultimate sin. I mean, thankfully it only happened that once and it hasn't happened again. He's very he's a very bright young man, but just that one incident where it just bam out of nowhere, I'm like don't really think that just happens so that might have been it as far as I'm concerned because it just uh, it bothered me right to my core I was checking on him a lot after that and he said he was fine but no he's in the ROTC and he's going to the uh, Coast Guard Academy this summer so I'm really proud of him yeah that's awesome (laughs) I mean joining the ROTC uh that's that's great I mean they really set you up for life when you start, you know, how old is he? He's, he's going to be 18 in September. Yeah. I knew he had to be like in his upper teens. If he's joining the ROTC, uh, my experience with those guys, a lot of those guys come out of the ROTC, have it together. They really do. 
Lots yeah. of respect for him. He was 14 and telling the dentist what he wanted to do, and the dentist was impressed, just like, you're the most put-together kid I've ever treated. Like, we're all super proud of him. So that moment of, no, he wanted to end it all, that was, it was completely and utterly uncharacteristic of him. So, but thank, like I said, he's been, he's been okay now, but that just completely jarred me and freaked me out. Um, and then there was a breaking point where one night my sister claims a demon came out of her closet and we used to share a room. I don't think I mentioned that we would share the room. So I knew this room and this was the room that the footsteps were in. She claimed a demon came out of her closet and just knocked off a whole shelf of books. Just like she felt a presence and then all of a sudden the books on one of her shelves were just down all at once. And she, since she's the one that saw the red-eyed man, I asked her if she saw anything and she replied with a no that she only felt it. And my sister, I describe her as an emotional tank behind a brick wall. Like she does not get phased by anything. You, you, can, you can call her hefty and she'll shoot an insult right back. She's... She's not afraid of anything. And she's only 13. Yeah. I feel bad for anyone that tries to date her. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so she is not scared easily, but she was shaking when she told my dad. Like this freaked her out. So did she see like physically something come out? Like she, like it wasn't just like she saw the door open and then she saw the shelf, but like she actually saw something come out. She didn't see anything come out. She said she it felt like a demon. And okay. that's about as far as she would care to describe it because it still kind of bothered her. Which, again, really strikes me as off because she's a very frank person. So, so you guys never had any problems before you moved into this house, right? Not that I can recall. Hmm. That's interesting. Not that my parents would discuss. Not that my parent. Not that I can recall. Uh, my dad finally had enough of the sudden activity, and took holy water that he gotten from the church because they're very active in their parish. So they, he took the holy water that he he got from the church and just blessed the closet reciting the Our Father. And as he shook the he shook the holy water like over every nook and cranny, like he coated this thing in holy water. And he ended his prayer with, you stay the F away from my kids. <laughs> <laughs> and he later jokes that I probably shouldn't end a prayer with cursing. But the house had fallen silent for at least a few more months. And we thought it was the end of it. But I spoke with my sister and she said she started hearing the footsteps again. And I'm keeping an eye on it. And I think it's... I think she needs to be able to I think she needs to be able to tell it to go away herself because unfortunate like I could go and cleanse the house but unfortunately the drawback of Wicca is if I don't have permission I can do everything I want to the house and it's not going to take take effect cuz my magic my energy needs the person's permission in order to take effect which is why I can't curse people or anything so I could go cleanse the house behind my behind my parents back and it won't take any effect. So I'm, I'm kind of, I either have to convince my mother to let me do it or I just have to support my sister. So I'm kind of at the part, part where I'm supporting my sister because it will, 
most recent incident was it was breathing down the back of her neck while she was brushing her teeth a few weeks ago. And she's just, she says she's not scared of it. And she just tells it to go away. I think she started calling it Bob and I'm like, Oh, don't give it a name. Don't give it a name, Jenna. Don't give it a name. <laughs> yeah. But she says she's dealing with it. So that's all I can really do. Um, now, so there's you, your brother, and your sister. And if I'm gathering this right, you're the oldest, he's the middle child, and your sister's the youngest? You got it. Has your brother ever had problems like this? Not that he's told me. He's kind of a, he's kind of a frank person, but we haven't really discussed the paranormal all that much. I keep meaning to whenever I, ha- whenever I have him alone, but we always just slip into our subjects by... Oh, girlfriends and stuff like that. But I'm pretty sure if he anything bothered him, he would have told me because Jenna knows to come to me. So I don't think it's bothered him. But I think ghost activity usually affects women more because we're perceived as more vulnerable. So it might not just be bothering with him. I don't know. I'm not it. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not the red-eyed man. So I don't. I don't know what what would what would be going on yeah and what about your mom i mean was your mom has your mom experienced things i mean uh my my question for the reasoning for that question is uh you know i i don't know I, it, it breathing down your sister's neck seems pretty similar to your experience that you had with it holding your hair uh i i don't know do you think it it feels more comfortable going after women I think it is. If it has done anything for my mom, she doesn't speak of it because she doesn't believe in the supernatural. So it would be really hard to get her to talk about something she doesn't believe in. She, well, she just doesn't talk about it. I mean, she's been a little more open about it recently. Like she'll she'll let us watch. She'll let the children watch horror movies in the house, but she doesn't. She doesn't really feel comfortable talking about. It. Like she'll talk with me about my Wicca. And about the spirituality and everything, but those are kind of off the table. So it kind of makes me wonder, like this kind of avoidance to the supernatural. I wonder if there's something that happened that she's not ready to accept yet. Because I, I find it really hard to believe that it all this spawned off of seeing one movie. I mean, I saw it when I was seven and I still don't trust clowns, but still, I just don't trust them. They're too happy. <laughs> too happy. <laughs> They're too happy. No one's that happy. They, uh, clowns never really bothered me. Uh, it, it just they just don't. Uh, now my wife Lindsay, on the other hand, hates clowns. Absolutely hates them. Uh, and I'm I'm terrible. I uh, when we first got married, <laughs> I changed her desktop background image to a scary clown image, and she opened up her laptop and she freaked out. She almost <laughs> threw her laptop across the room. <laughs> yeah. I, I used to be petrified of them, but now I'm at the point where it's just like, okay, you're people in costumes, but that's just, no, no, just don't, don't come near me, please. But you, you go do your thing. You go do your thing. Yeah. <laughs> Not near me, please. Well, you know, I, I just, when I, when I hear your story and just the different experiences your family has had, I, I think you're probably right. You're, I mean, it does make me wonder if your mom has experienced something and she just doesn't know how to react to it. So she pretends it didn't happen. Uh, it, you know, especially, 
you said she's very involved in the parish. I mean, I, I bang my drum on this all the time, and I, I wish it wasn't so, but I really feel like, uh, in again, in America, they've really tried stripping the supernatural out of the Bible to make it like more quote-unquote normal. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that there's people out there that maybe are experiencing supernatural, paranormal-type things, and they are Christians or whatever, and they don't even know how to react to it because... This, this isn't supposed to be real. Uh, I'm going to be coming out with a show this week, so it's going to date the show now that I said that, but it, it's okay. <laughs> uh, it's going to date this interview. But um, I'm going to be coming out of the show this week where I had a guy on who shared some paranormal experiences he had uh, in a house that he had with his ex-wife. And uh, while he had these experiences, he still had a hard time believing what he experienced because as a Christian, he felt like he shouldn't believe these things. And I spent some time explaining to him that, you know, the Bible is actually, if you actually read the Bible, it's littered with these types of things. And uh, it's just, I really feel like, uh, I don't know if it's an intentional thing or if it's just happened on default, but I really feel like in America, uh, the, the Christians, uh, in very generic term Christians, uh, have really kind of taken the whole idea of there being a supernatural uh, realm out of their belief system, which leaves them this watered down, comfortable version they can swallow, uh, you know, more easily. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. It is Americanized Christianity, because if you look at places like Europe, oh, places like Europe, if you look at like Europe, they have a lot of supernatural, um, they have a lot of supernatural ties tied in with their bi- with their version of the Bible and everything. Uh, I'm having trouble thinking of examples right now, but if you like, if you see how Denmark does it, England does it, like they all have like supernatural ties. They don't have issues believing in the supernatural at all over there. And God, what place is it? This is gonna bother me now. I think it's like around this island around Denmark, Denmark, where it's like customary to get your house blessed by a priest because there might be any old negative energy or ghost in the house. And now it's going to bother me because I don't remember what that, where that place is, but I remember <laughs> hearing that fact. But it's like it's, it's customary. It's everyday thing to think, oh, yeah, there might be a ghost there. Just send a priest in to bless it. It'll be fine. Like they don't. It's not stigmatized. A lot of things in America are are, uh, stigmatized, where in Europe, it's just like it's an everyday thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I know like in India, China, like, all right, for instance, China, uh, in in China, it's illegal to be a Christian in China. And so there's Christian churches in China that just have to be underground because if they found out, you know, you're in a lot of trouble. I I don't want to go as far as say as they'll they'll kill you, uh, but they'll, they'll definitely break up that church. Uh, Mm -hmm. they could kill you. I don't know. I, I, that's why I don't want to say it. Uh, but I say that because they, sometimes these little church house, house churches that they have, they only have, you know, one page of the Bible that they, they read over and over again and they believe what it says and they take it serious. Uh, and I think, I think in America we have the whole Bible and we've taken it for granted and we don't really necessarily, we, we pick and choose what we want to believe where they, they, these other countries, they don't have that luxury. And so they, they, they have, they, 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 they're so convicted that 
they're willing to lose their life over this. And so with that comes this whole supernatural realm because uh, one, they believe it's, 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 it's an existence. And two, when they experience it, they actually are aware of it and they don't deny it. Where I, like I said, I, I think in America, a lot of times we deny these things even happen. Yeah, exactly. Like that's another thing that really unnerves me about let's call them fair weather Christians, like default Christians, as you're saying, where they'll if they're not happy with homosexuality, they'll quote the one verse out of the Bible about homosexuality. But then it's like, well, there's the verse about not eating any animals with clothing feet. There's the verse about not wearing mixed fabrics. There's a verse about not eating any red meat on. Fridays, are you following those verses or are you just cherry picking that one verse because it serves you? If you're going to quote the Bible to serve, to serve your beliefs, you better start quoting the whole freaking thing as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I understand a lot of it's outdated, but it's just like, well, well okay, so. Right. Um, and it, it, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say necessarily outdated, but contextualized for this is what I look at. Uh, OK, th- things. um things need to be put into context. And uh, so there, like the Old Testament, New Testament, there is a difference between the two. Uh, however, in the New Testament, there are things that uh, Christians do uh, clearly neglect to follow. Something as simple as this. Uh, I believe it was the Apostle Paul talked about as a Christians, not gossiping and what, what the, uh, how gossiping could destroy a whole group of Christians. And, uh, that happens all the time. And, and, and I, the, I believe that in a heartbeat. And, and so uh, you, you look at these things and, and, and you're right. Uh, people tend to pick and choose what they want to believe because there's no conviction behind. And that's the, that's the root of this. I believe that, that there's not a whole lot of conviction, period, behind what they say they believe. It's easy to say something. But where's is there conviction behind what you say? Because if there is, your actions will follow. And so, um, you know, and, and and nobody's perfect. And 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 that's the beautiful thing about it is you're not required to be perfect. But the the there needs to be that intent behind it to strive for perfection, like you would with anything else. Like, uh, you know. You're, if you say you're an athlete, you want to be the best you can be, right? Because you're convicted to be the best you can be. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, oh, man, we're getting off topic. We're getting off topic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. So, uh, well, it's just, I, I know you went, to, uh, you went to Paris, you were studying to be a pastor. You went to pastor school or something, yeah, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I went to Bible college. So I, just, I, I pretty much failed out of it, though. <laughs> yeah, like, I find discussing religion very fascinating in a very adult manner. So that, so I'm I'm very sorry. This might be my fault. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I, I mean, uh, you know, uh, it is what it is. It, it's your show. I mean, we could we could discuss whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, I, I just uh, when these kind of things come up, especially, I mean, uh, you're Wiccan, I'm Christian. Obviously, that's not the same thing. And the fact mm-hmm. that we're able to hold a conversation, uh, I think, is pretty cool. Um, so that in itself, I think, is worth talking about. But um, yeah. I, I completely respect Christianity. I think, I think it's a little patriarchal, but, you know, that's whatever. It's, <laughs> it's not something I hold against it, but I think that's why I could never really connect to it but i understand that a lot of our people were able to connect with it it has saved a lot of people and it's a very 
And belief is a very sacred thing. So when you're using belief just to justify your own actions and you don't actually believe in it, that offends me on a very deep level. And I think that's what we're, we're both talking about not being happy with when we're talking about these uh, default Christians. Because belief is a very, very sacred thing. It should be treated as sacred, and it's really not. You're, you're, you're right. I say this sometimes on the show. I don't want to sound like I'm bashing Christianity because I'm a Christian. Uh, I just, <laughs> I'm not very shy about expressing my issues within my own faith. Uh, I, I'm very much, hey, listen, like I have a Bible sitting right next to me right now. I read mm-hmm. this thing. I believe what it has to say. And that's that. Let, let's stop making this harder than what it has to be. Let's read this thing. Listen to what it has to say. And follow it or uh, believe what, you know, does that make sense? Like, I I think we kind of make this harder than it has to be sometimes in in Christianity. Uh, And Jesus kind of talked about it, too, when he was talking to the Pharisees. And he's told them, like, listen, you have the Ten Commandments and you make rules to follow the Ten Commandments. Those rules you're you're making to follow the Ten Commandments weren't given by God. Those are man-made rules that you're making uh, it harder than what it has to be. And uh, I think we've kind of done that again throughout the course of history with uh, Christianity and stuff. I, I think we've, we're making things a little bit more complicated than they have to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but Yeah, uh, and then people just use it for financial gain and to further their own needs, and they completely bastardize the initial purpose of the religion, which is to love thy neighbor and believe in God and believe in the Son of God. And they just run off with one one passage and say oh hey i'm good we're, we're we're a christian we're good but it's just like okay well are are you going to if you're against homosexuality are you going to go and stone a woman that just divorced her husband because he was beating her no you're not going to do that that's so it's just we're, we're getting off topic but it's like i i highly respect the religion i highly respect the the concept of christianity it's just I don't want to say a majority because that sounds a little insulting, but most of the average everyday Christians that you see walking on the street don't really convict to it. Like I was, I was initially very resentful of Christianity when I was in my teens because of all the things that were happening in my house. Like I wanted God and Jesus to protect me and they didn't. So I became a little resentful, but I never disrespected it because my grandmother is a hardcore Roman Catholic woman and she is one of the best people I have ever met. She is she is a saint. So it's like, no, I'm not going to completely and utterly dump on something that is so important to someone who's so close to me. I may not like it, but you know what? It is what it is. But what actually got me to start respecting Christianity as a religion again is when my father blessed the closet. Because I cleansed my condo. I do, we, we have a whole cleansing and warding ritual because I had some weird things happening in my condo. I'm just like, okay, we're not dealing with this again. I'm just kicking it out before anything happens. And then when my dad plus the closet, it, um, it stopped the activity. So I was really confused. Like, well, wait, how did, how was he able to bless the closet and make things stop? Just like I was able to make things stop. What is, what, what's going on here? And I really think why belief is really sacred to me is there's your force of will, and that's how you make things happen. 
And your belief is like the crystal you focus that light through. So if you really believe in Christianity, you want this to happen, you're going to focus through that crystal and you're going to make it happen. So me focusing through my Wicca and my self-belief is what drove any negative spirit out of my condo. And my dad focusing on Christianity and the Our Father is what, um, I guess, soothed. Um, is the right word. I'm not thinking of a better word right now is what soothed the red eyed man to kind of mellow down for a little bit. So that's why I kind of hold every religion in good regard, except for the, you know, the, the Satanist that you ran into. That was a, that was a weird story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, it still bothers me. Not like in a, uh, I'm scared way, but in a, it ticks me off way. I mean, it's just one of those things where uh, I, I look back at him like the audacity and it, it kind of mm. pisses me off. Um, yeah, that's just. I actually delivered there not too long ago and I went in there looking for him and I didn't see him. Uh, so I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, eventually I'm going to run into this guy again and him and I are going to have some words because I'm just going to let him know. I know what he was doing. I've had so many people email me, confirm my suspicions telling me, yes, this guy was, you know, doing this, that, and the other. And they kind of broke it down and explained it to me. Uh, and so I don't need to understand everything. All I know is what happened to me and, uh, I wasn't, I'm not too thrilled about it. So, um, you know, it is I was what it is. very surprised to hear that there are Satanists that go into Christian church, go into churches and try to break them up. I was actually very surprised to hear that because the Satanism I've heard of is when a bunch of atheists get together, call themselves, um, call themselves Satanists to piss off the Christians. But then they go and say, oh, well, if you want open with a Christian prayer, why don't you let this guy open with this Muslim prayer? Like they're like they they're kind of. They're they're atheists. They don't do magic and all that stuff. They don't actually believe in Satan. They just call themselves Satanists to piss off the Christians. Like I never heard of them. I never heard of Satanists Satanists that practice magic and go into churches and try to break them up. I'd never heard of those before. So I was just like, what? Yeah, I'm actually going to I keep forgetting to do this, but I'm going to reach out to this one guy. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be able to get him on the show. Uh, but he is actually an ex, uh, satanic priest that participated in these such things and has been personally responsible for breaking up over a hundred churches by infiltrating them like that. Uh, and he talks about it openly because he's no longer doing that. And it's kind of like part of his testimony now, but, uh, he kind of goes into how he did things, what, what he did and, uh, things like that. So I'm, I'm probably going to have him on the show, hopefully this year. Uh, but yeah, it should be an interesting thing. Yeah. Um, I never heard of that before. I mean, I know a few Wiccans that do uh, volunteer work in Christian churches, but we don't do it to break it up. Hell I do. I volunteer my photography skills at my grandmother's church because she got me the camera. So of course she's like, you point, I'm like, gotta get you point. I shoot. Uh, yeah, let's just take a break right now. And when we get back, we're going to wrap this show up on the, uh, Pine Barrens. Well, we haven't gotten into that yet. And I definitely want to get into the Pine Barrens because we have some fascinating stuff to cover. We'll be right back, everybody.
let's bring it back here to the the uh, <laughs> second part of the email because I mean I I don't know if you heard that the the show a couple weeks ago that I did live I did a three hour show live I could talk forever so <laughs> hmm. um, but let's uh, talk about your experiences in the Pine Barrens because I'm very interested to hear what you have to say uh, about this. Okay, well the Pine Barrens they so. I don't know if I should explain what the Pine Barrens are, but yeah, go um, ahead. basically the Pine Barrens is a, a forest that covers most of South Jersey and it's pretty vast. And then there are people who live in them called Pineys and they're basically Northern rednecks as far as we're concerned. Like they get, it gets a little weird in there, but there's a, um, there's a legend of the uh, Jersey devil which is why the Pine Bears is, are famous, which is why somebody's probably already heard of them. But there's a section of the Pine Barrens called Mount Misery, which is off Route 30 in Burlington County. And me and my friends, being stupid teenagers that we were, and me dealing with the haunted house and wanting to understand more of the supernatural, decided to go to Mount Misery. Now, um, I explained earlier, but I'm going to explain it again for the interview. From what I can... Find Mount Misery was named because of the miserable conditions of the sawmill workers that worked there. Because it's the it's the north northeast. The winters were brutal. The summers were brutal in the 1800s. And of course, they're working at sawmill. Can you imagine working in one of those in like the 1800s under those conditions? So there's no actual mountain there. It's just forest. And the entry point of Mount Misery is a uh, a Methodist church last summer camp. And when you first get in there, um, there's going to be there's a building on your right, which is um, the building where they hold everything, the rec hall or whatever. And the words are not helping me right now. <laughs> um, you know, the office. There we go. That's that's the word I was looking for. And then on the left, you're going to see an outside church, which is basically a wooden cross, a wooden altar, and then like four sections of wooden pews, like maybe three or not three or four, more than that, probably along the line of like six or seven pews back. So there's like an outside church there. So being the dumb teenagers that we are, we decided to go exploring in the Pine Barrens because we heard that there might be ghosts there. I remember we originally saw something about it in an issue of Weird New Jersey. I don't know if anyone knows what Weird New Jersey is. It's a really awesome magazine that just has weird facts and roadside attractions about stuff in New Jersey. And they also have books for different states, too. So if you go to your local bookstore and go to the um like the roads and maps and something the local section you'll probably find an issue of weird new jersey or weird mississippi or weird pennsylvania i've been trying to collect them all they're really cool so we go in there and most of the time it was just driving just driving the back roads and our friend had a really good our a uh, friend had a really good truck that, so we were able to get through the mountain roads. And most of the time, nothing happened. The first time, some the uh, first visit, the only thing that happened were dogs chasing us. 
which was very fun, let me add, because they were not the cuddly puppies. They sounded like wild dogs. Oh, man. <laughs> because we went to the church area because it, it's night. We're there at night. And I was just trying to take pictures, see if I could get any ghosts to show up on my camera. Because I was at the point where I just wanted to understand more about the supernatural because of what I was dealing with at home. So I'm taking pictures of the outside church, hoping to get some ghosts. And there's a little path behind the wooden cross that we were following that we went further into the forest. And we just started walking through the trails and nothing happened. And all of a sudden, dogs were barking and we had to turn tail or one our one buddy actually lost his shoe. So we had to, we were like hearing these dogs come closer and closer and he's trying to get his shoe out of the mud, but we get in there, we hop in the truck and we're gone. Supernaturally, um, there was only one significant night that stands out in my mind. And this night was pretty, pretty weird. I don't like, I had everything written down to keep myself from going off track. And I actually did not write this down for some reason. What the hell? Huh. Seems like something I should have done. Oh, well. So what happened was we were doing our usual track. It was me, my boyfriend, and two of our buddies. I actually had gotten, we had gone to a local ghost store in Mount Holly. I don't know if they're still there. I really hope so because I love that store. And I had managed to get a um, full-spectrum camera. So I was actually taking video camera, like, you know, the full-spectrum cameras that they have on Ghostbusters and everything. I was just, like, I really wanted to capture something because as a teenager, I I thought if I understood how the supernatural worked, I would be less scared of the errant entity. So I was very driven to understand it. And we were heading in there, and we headed in there pretty deep. The first incident happened when we went to a lake. And things, a couple things had happened before that, but they weren't supernatural. Doe had jumped down our path. Whatever, it's a deer. We're in the forest. Doe walks off. We continue. We um, headed for a trail before that. And as we're leaving that trail, another doe came out. Weird. Two does jumping at us in the car, but we're in the forest, whatever. And now we head towards this lake. This lake. Like, we were having fun. We were joking around. And then all of a sudden, the fun and joking around stops the closer we get to this lake. And it's just like, we felt like we weren't supposed to be there. So we're walking along, we're lo- walking along the path that's right next to this lake, and we're just kind of quietly chatting and hushing each other and looking around. And there's a toad that keeps following us and croaking, or yeah, toads toads croak, but you know they're, sure. they're making their horrific sounds. And my boyfriend has a my boyfriend believes more in Native American spirituality, so he has this totem with a toad on it that he calls toad so he was joking oh hey toad's just here to keep us safe if he stops croaking that's when we're in trouble and we just start giggling at that and suddenly something ripples in the water and i did not personally see this but my friend and my boyfriend both claim they see an orb like 
in the distance come out of the water and all of a sudden the toad stops croaking. So we all went silent. We kind of just stood there. I was too scared to look and they're just like, no, we're, we're going, we're going back to the car. We're, 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 not, we're in something's territory. Like that's why we felt like we shouldn't be there. We were in something or someone's territory. And we had gone over a dam during our walking. So we headed back over the dam and it just felt like something was trying to rush at us from behind, but it was at a distance. So it just kept slowly escalating. And so we were at the point where we were like running, jogging, and then kind of sprinting towards the car to get away from this lake. We get into the car and he just revs the car around because he's our, my buddy's getting really freaked out. And he has to slam on the brakes. And guess what's in the middle of the road? An albino, an albino doe. Wow. Albino. They ne- like they they occur more common than you think they would, but they never really survive infancy. They never really survive to adulthood because they're they're white. They don't blend in. So you think that so, is a sign of something? It was definitely a sign because we all looked at each other. It's just like trouble comes in threes. And I think that is a really blatant third sign that's trouble's coming. So our my one buddy is too shook enough to even continue. And this guy is just like my sister. He is an emotional tank behind a brick wall. Nothing phases him. All of a sudden, his hands are shaking because we still feel that force from the lake coming at us. Like telling, it's like telling us to get out, get out, get out right now or something bad is going to happen. So they had to really quickly do a Chinese fire drill. My boyfriend has to take over driving and he just turn he just puts on the gas and he starts driving as fast as he can. As we're turning, we see a white glowing light. Just like it's not even a pure sphere, it's like a mini sun and some light was dripping off it. I could not I cannot have a natural I couldn't have a natural explanation for this if I tried. Just like a a dripping, a a spear of light just dripping more light, just falling through the trees as we're making a turn. And we are just jetting out of there. We were gone. We were leaving Mount Misery. We were all completely freaked out. The boys were more freaked out than I was because they saw this orb or whatever it was come out of the water. I did not see this happen. And it gets better because that night I was due to spend it. I was due to stay over my one friend's house who lives out by the lakes. And where are the lakes? They're in the Pine Barrens. Wow. So I had to let them drop me off. I got in my own car to go to her house because she didn't care if I was late. She wanted to um, have some time on her own anyways. And I'm... I'm almost at her house and there's this S curve in the woods to her house. They call it dead man's curve because they're very, very sharp. And I'm driving and I'm still a little, little shaky from the experience. I just want to get back to, I want to get to her house. I want to tell her what happened and I want to go to bed. That is literally all I wanted to do because I was supposed to be at her house for a week while her parents were out traveling. And all of a sudden, my head feels like it's being pressed back into my headrest. 
And without touching the gas, my car starts going faster. And I'm heading right for dead man's curve. And I don't know if I imagined this, but I'm pretty sure I saw a head of hair in the rear view mirror. So my car is driving faster and faster towards this curve. And I am like trying to pull my foot off the gas and nothing, nothing. I can't pull my foot off the gas. It's just going faster. So I, I'm about to scream and all of a sudden my car just jolts and slows down. Like all of a sudden the gas is off. I'm able to move my foot and I'm looking around. There's nothing in my rear view mirror and I'm about to make the, the turn. And this is the Pine Barrens and I am a teenaged girl on her own in the middle of the forest. I do not get out. I just go around the curve and I try to make it to my friend's house slowly, like as safely, but as quickly as possible. I, I think I was, I think whatever was at the lake followed me to let me know, Hey, I want to see you around here again. Because when I told my boyfriend, my, my friend, they were just like, yeah, you're not going back there again. I'm like, why am I not going back there? Are you going back there? They're like, no, no, we're not going back there. No. Mm-hmm. They went back, didn't they? Uh, twice as far as I know. Yeah. But so, I'm not allowed to go because they don't want me to get hurt, which is cute. It's protective. But at the same time, it's like, really? Don't, don't exclude me. I want to go. <laughs> get hurt because well, they think it followed me back to give me a warning and you know I have not gone back since <laughs> well that's a lie I've gone back once but it was during a thunderstorm I was with our bone buddy and we were just you know driving the trails that was about it we were just mudding basically we weren't going near the lake or anything because you remembered where it was and when we were about to make that turn I'm like hey isn't that yeah we're not going and just kept driving I'm like oh okay we're not going. Good idea. <laughs> yeah, that's the major paranormal experience I had at uh, the Mount Misery. I, I had some orbs on my camera, but they could easily been dust specks, so I kind of written them off. I don't even know if I still have the, those pictures anymore. And I never got anything on my full-spectrum camera. Okay. I mean, I, I got to tell you, though, I... I, what your story, what you just told me about at the lake and stuff, uh, is, I told you before we started the interview that I wanted to talk about what I had heard and it's very similar. Uh, I don't have all the details because it was told to me. So what happened was I was actually, uh, I broke down with my truck at work and I waited all day for a tow. The guy comes and he's towing me. And uh, we start talking and it's nighttime and, you know, I just talk to people about what I do. And I just, that's who mm -hmm. I am. And, uh, you know, we got on the topics of, you know, Bigfoot and all that stuff. And the guy said that he's from Jersey. He said, have you ever gone to the Pine Barrens? I said, no, I've never been there yet, but I would like to get there. And he said, there's some crazy stuff in there. And uh, I, I said, like, what? And he, one, the first thing he said was that him and his friends were, were uh, wrecking through the Pine Barrens. And, uh, I, I can't remember. I think he, I think, yeah, I think they were on some road. In, no, 
No, they were off-road. That's what it was. They were off-road because they came across a house out in the middle of nowhere. There was no road leading up to this house. And they came across the house, and there was actually people at the house sitting on the front porch. And they all mm-hmm. stood up and just looked at them like, what are you doing here? You know, and it kind of that, that kind of describes what you were talking about with uh, the northern rednecks or however you, however you described them. Like, yeah, northern rednecks, I, I think that's the way to put them. I don't know if it's exactly polite, but we, we call them pineys. The pineys, yes, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, literally, that—that's what you described. These are people who live in the pine barrens. They live off grid. They don't want to be bothered. Leave them alone, and you probably shouldn't mm-hmm. cross them because if you come too close, it's going to be threatening to them. <laughs> I mean, really, uh, it, it's kind of scary to think about. But uh, then he told me that they were hanging out at a, at a lake, and uh, it was nighttime, and across the lake they saw this really big shadow. Like he said, because he, because he knew I was into the Bigfoot thing. And so he shared this story with me where like it was across the lake. They saw this like really tall shadow, like e- extremely tall, like, like almost as tall as the trees tall. And they lit it up with their flashlights and their spotlights. And he said that it actually seemed like a consumed delight. Like it didn't disappear. The light, the light didn't make the shadow go away. They could still see the shadow when they showed the, when they shined the lights on it, but it, 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 it like kind of consumed and took in the light. Hmm. So I, I wonder mean, if it was the same lake. I know. That's what I was just thinking. I wonder if it's the <laughs> same lake. Yeah. Cause I, I don't, I never, well, I had one other incident on dead man's curve, but that was hydroplaning. That wasn't anything supernatural. So that was, I, I don't know what to describe what came into my car. I don't know if, it followed me to give me a warning. I don't know if it was something that was there. It just, it saw I was already freaked out. I, I don't know what happened. I just, I just know it happened in the same night within an hour span of each other. So I was, uh, I, I was not in the quite right way when I finally got to my friend's house. Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, what you experienced in the Pine Barrens and, uh, what the story that I heard, um, it, it's mysterious. The, the Pine Barrens are mysterious. There's a lot of, eerie mysterious things going on in there i've driven through the pine barrens for work and stuff but i haven't uh, actually stopped but i'll tell you i'll tell the whole audience the pine barrens are extremely thick and dense mm-hmm. it, it, this is not like your your uh even pennsylvania woods like this is this stuff is thick and dense like you can't like you can't see five feet into the pine barrens from the road Mm-mm. nope no, there's a lot of rumors of like gang activity that happens there. And it's just like, that's a good cover, which is why, especially at night, you don't want to go. Um, you don't want to, um, uh, you know, stop your car for any reason. You just want to get going and get home because there's like rumor of gang activity and stuff like that. And the Pine Barrens, which, you know, I, I wouldn't put it past. Like there was even a rumor of, um, if you drive past a car that doesn't have their headlights on and you flick your headlights to remind them, hey, you got to put your headlights on, you're not going to see that then that car is going to start following you in some kind of gang initiation. And it's just like, you know what? Yeah. That sounds crazy. But in the Pine Barrens, I'd believe it. <laughs> no, I've, I've actually heard the same exact thing. I've heard that same exact thing. Uh, and it actually makes every time I see somebody with their headlights off, uh, I, I, I think about that and I usually don't flash them because of that. No, the only time I ever flash my high beams at someone is if there is a police car around the corner and it's a known speed trap. 
but you're not really supposed to do that. No. <laughs> I, 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 the way I, I drive for a living, so the way I look at things is every man for himself. I'm not going to bother you. You don't bother me. Let's just get to where mm-hmm. we're going. Use your blinkers. Yeah, exactly. Use your darn blinkers. That is my number one pet peeve. Use your darn blinkers. I'm not going to psychically... I'm not, I'm not psychic. I'm not going to automatically assume you're coming into my lane, especially with the merging lanes. If someone doesn't have their merging singer on, it's just trying to jam their car in front of me. It's just like, no, no, you can use your blinker. I'm not having this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Sam, I really appreciate you coming on tonight and just sharing some of these stories and stuff. I, uh, I had a great time talking with you. Uh, before, huh. before we get out of here, uh, with the whole Pine Barrens thing, uh, what's your sense? Do you think it's a whole, uh, force that's haunted or do you think there's a little bit of truth to some of the legends? What, what's your general sense on, you know, the Pine Barrens? The Pine Barrens has a very interesting energy to it. And I think it's because the, the trees are so dense and everything's so close together. Like, um, <sighs> I think there's just a unique energy to it that draws things like the Jersey devil. It could have happened. I don't, I don't, I don't knock it. I mean, how something could have lived for 200 years. I'm not really sure. I, so it probably is a demon and not some creature that people have been seeing because I'm not going to take up time talking about the whole New Jersey legend because that New Jersey devil legend, cause that can go, that can be its own show. <laughs> from how much you hear about the Jersey devil, but it's just, it has, I think it has a very drawing energy to it. That's why things manifest, manifest in there. That's why people want to be left alone there. There's that, there's a peculiar energy to it. So I think it's just the whole area in itself. That's what, that's what my theory is. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's just something, there's just something about it. And the more stories you hear, and, and you know, the thing is, what really gets me is that it's so close to where I live and I haven't explored it yet. And I don't know if it's because I'm lazy or I'm scared. I don't know. Because <laughs> I've heard just so many stories come out of Pine Barrens. It's just, you know, it is a little eerie. So, but uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Oh, not a problem. I mean, I have more minor stories, but this has gone on long enough. I mean, I can certainly talk to you again, though. Absolutely. If you'd like. Absolutely. Maybe we could uh, bring you back for a, a patron episode or something like that. Ah, sounds like fun. Totally yeah, down for it. Absolutely, because we can have you have you on, and then the patrons call in and ask questions and things like that. It'd be fun. Oh, I would actually love that. Cool beans. Uh, well, until then, I'll talk to you later. Sounds good. Talk to you later. Alrighty. Bye. Bye. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And like I said earlier, there's three ways you can support the show. One, you can go to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Some people can't do that because they don't have iTunes. So I highly encourage you to do the second option, which is go ahead and share the show on social media, your Twitter account, your Facebook, Instagram, whatever social media you're on. It'd be very much a help for me and the show 
if you could actually share the show with social media as well. And the third thing is Patreon. Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash The Confessionals. When you go to Patreon.com backslash The Confessionals, you'll see a lot of different rewards there, including live videos that I do for the patrons, live interviews for patrons, and you actually get access to these shows before they broadcast. You actually get to watch me do these interviews live, so you actually get exclusive access. So those are some of the perks of being a patron. There's more perks. I highly encourage you to go ahead and check it out. But those are the three things you can do to help this show grow. If you can do all three, that would be amazing. But if you can only do one of the three, that's amazing as well. I really appreciate the support you guys have been giving me over the last year and a half now. It means a lot to me. And this show has become a success because of you, the listener. I really appreciate that. And so until next week, next Saturday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. I'll see you later. Take care and God bless. Jump on